Our passage this morning is in Acts chapter 1. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. So Father, from this text, as relevant today as the day that it was written, teach us from it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat. Good morning again. Hey, if you have a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible or you can't afford a Bible, you can grab a Bible on your way out today. That's our gift to you. Uh, Welcome to Redemption. I can't remember if I introduced myself the last time I was up here or not. My name is Stephen. I'm the pastor here. A special welcome to those of you also who are watching uh, online this morning. Thanks for joining us in that way. This year, what we're doing is we're studying through the book of Acts, and on your way in today, you actually should have received a card. If you didn't, you can grab one on your way out. You can throw this in your Bible. It's just a reminder of our uh, kind of our, our vision for the year, as well as how it is that we're studying the book of Acts. And we're doing that in five ways. First, we're encouraging each of you to to read a chapter every day that'll get you through the book 12 times this year, to memorize one key verse per uh, per month. And your first one is Acts 1.8. I'm going to preach on this verse next week. The third thing, to study it and to do that through the Daily Dig, uh, which you can get into your inbox. You just sign up at experienceredemption.com. Number four, to discuss it in life groups and Bible studies. And then number five, every Sunday, at least that's the plan, I'll be preaching through the book of Acts. I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed studying the book of Acts with uh, people in our our church already, whether it's uh, Bible studies or life groups and uh, just, you know, kind of chatting with you guys as you're reading through it and the questions that are surfacing. And we're just getting into it. And so let's just keep pressing in and seeing what God wants to teach us individually and corporately as a church as we study this. This morning, uh, we're in week two of our preaching series, and we're going to try to get through verses three through seven. Last week, we looked at verses one and two and a little bit of three. So we're going to pick up from there. Last week, I just laid out the, the preface of the book of Acts. And that is that Jesus is still working. Right at the beginning of it, the author, Luke, says that in his first book, which was the Gospel of Luke, he laid out all that Jesus began to do and teach. The implication there is that Jesus is still doing and teaching to this day. Although he has ascended up into heaven, he is not distant or far away. He is still involved. He's still very much the head of his church and actively engaged in our lives And in this world, Jesus is still doing and he is still teaching. He's just now doing it through his Holy Spirit, which descended through his empowered church that now brings the gospel to the world. This morning, what we're going to do as we're uh, looking through verses 3 through 7 is see three things. First, we're going to see what gave the disciples hope or confidence. They, uh, at the end of Luke's gospel... In chapter 24, we see that the disciples were dejected. We see a snapshot of it as two of them are walking on the road to Emmaus. 
And as they're walking, uh, a figure shows up to them. It's actually the risen Christ, but they don't recognize him. And they ask him, uh, Jesus asked them, how are you guys doing? I'm paraphrasing a little bit. And they respond, don't you know what's happened? We had placed all of our hope, all of our confidence that the kingdom, the long-awaited kingdom, was finally returning. We were finally going to see it happen. But then our king died. And with him, all hope of the kingdom, all hope of the restored Israel died with him. And so we have lost hope. We have no confidence. And so we're going to see what gave them their confidence back. But more than just that, we're also going to see then what empowered them. Because confidence alone isn't enough. Maybe you know somebody in your life, they've had a lot of confidence but not quite as much skill or knowledge to back up that confidence. And so the disciples didn't just have confidence or hope. They also had power. And so we're going to see what gave them power. And then we're going to see the mechanism that God decided to use in order to expand his kingdom, to grow his kingdom, and to reach the world with the good news of the gospel, namely the church. So we're going to see the confidence. We're going to see the power. And we're going to see the mechanism, which is the resurrection, the Holy Spirit, and the church. Let's start in verse 3. In verse 3, it starts off by saying that, I'm not an axe right now. Give me one second. It starts off by saying, he presented himself, that's Jesus, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. Now, I referenced this last week that the simple message of the book of Acts over and over is Jesus was dead and then he was alive. This is the very simple message of the gospel. Christ died for our sins, but then he rose from the grave. Jesus shows himself alive to the disciples multiple times during these 40 days. There's been many questions about the 40 days between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. In fact, there's actually been many heresies that have been formed about what Jesus was doing and talking about, but Luke wants us to be very clear what Jesus was doing during those 40 days. What he was doing is he was appearing to the disciples and saying, hey, I'm not dead, I'm alive. He says he does it multiple times. There was one time they were out fishing, Jesus shows up and he makes them breakfast. Very nice of him. There's another time they were sitting in a room talking and Jesus just shows up into the room, freaks them out a little bit, but then they have a nice conversation. Paul says there was another time where there were 500 disciples gathered together. 500, uh, actually says 500 people that were gathered together and Jesus shows up in front of all 500 of them. And so over and over, multiple times during these 40 days, Jesus would show up with the very simple proof, I am alive. It was to give the disciples this hope, this confidence Jesus said he was going to die and raise from the dead, and he did. And that did begin to give the disciples the hope and the confidence that they needed. In fact, much later, after the book of Acts was written, uh, Paul would reflect on the resurrection, and he would say these words, apart from the resurrection of Christ, we are to be the most pitied. In other words, we have put all of our eggs in the wrong basket unless Christ actually did a bodily resurrection. In other words, in other, unless this resurrection was real, actual, factual, it happened, then this whole faith is useless. 
And this is what Luke is picking up in Acts chapter 1. He's presented himself alive. He's alive. He died and he rose from the grave. And this idea, the resurrection of Christ, began to build this confidence in the early church. For we're going to see these disciples go from the dejected ones walking on the road to Emmaus, thinking that the kingdom is no more and can never be. We'll see the ones who are hiding out uh, in, in a room, thinking that all is lost. And Jesus shows up. And then... They turn into this movement, this movement. And part of what Acts does is it answers the question, how did this disenfranchised group of people unify to be a part of the greatest movement that the world has ever seen? We see the early parts of this in the book of Acts. And so, yes, Christ rose from the dead, and it was the confidence and the hope that the church needed to to get back up on its feet. By the way, Christian, the resurrection is still this for us today. The resurrection is our hope in every moment. The resurrection is our confidence. When we face life's lowest moments, the resurrection is the reminder to us that God can redeem anything. When we face death of whatever sort, the resurrection is the reminder to us of what we will see again one day. When, uh, uh, when the world seems as if it's all falling apart, the resurrection is a reminder to us that one day all things will be made new. Again, our hope is still, our confidence is still in the resurrection of Christ. And so that's how Jesus starts. He presents himself alive to them. But then the rest of the verse tells us what it is that Jesus is most about. I wonder if I had asked you the question, I've kind of already played my cards here, what is Jesus most about? What your answer would have been. What did Jesus care most about? What did Jesus talk most about? Well, the verse tells us here, we don't have to wonder what Jesus did in these 40 days. We're told he talked about the kingdom of God. He spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, of course, we're familiar with this term kingdom. We know that a kingdom typically in our understanding uh, refers to an actual territorial place, like a physical land, and and that there is a sovereign who reigns over it, and his rule is absolute, his authority is absolute, and his way or his system is the operating system within his kingdom. What of the kingdom of God? This morning, what I want to help us do is to understand a little bit better what we mean by this phrase, the kingdom of God, because Jesus was most about his kingdom. He was most about his kingdom. That's why he spent those 40 days talking about the kingdom. Now, maybe you're here and you're like, well, I wish we would have known what he said. I think we actually do. See, Luke, 32 different times in his gospel, mentions or references the kingdom of God. I think this little verse here uh, is a way of, of Luke saying, Jesus resurrected, and then before his ascension, what he did is he just kept talking about all of the things that he was already talking about. He was referencing and retelling some of the stories, and maybe he used more parables or different examples, but Jesus was about the kingdom of God. He had been about the kingdom of God uh, for the three years of his uh, earthly ministry before his death, and then he was about the kingdom of God for the 40 days before he ascended into heaven, and he's still about the kingdom of God today. That's what Jesus is about, and his followers, Christians, are to be about the kingdom of God as well. So what is this kingdom of God? Well, one way I can answer that question is tell you is to tell you, just go read the gospel of Luke, because 32 different times you're going to be told this is what the kingdom of God is like. This is what the kingdom of God is like. But we don't have enough time to read the gospel of Luke this morning. So I'll summarize a little bit for you. I'm going to give you three statements. 
this morning that might help us understand what the kingdom of God is all about. First is this, that the kingdom of God is both here and still to come. The kingdom of God is both here and still to come. When John the Baptist emerges onto the scene in the beginning of the gospel of Luke, he says these words, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. He was saying it's right here, and probably what he meant is like, no, Jesus is coming. Like, he's going to be here really quickly. He, he, he's physical. He's alive. He was on the earth at that time. Jesus is about to show up. You should repent. See, wherever Jesus is, of course, there is his kingdom. And so the kingdom of God is, in that moment, he's saying it's right here, it's right now. There was another moment when uh, somebody was healed and Jesus himself said, behold, the kingdom of God. As in, you've just experienced the kingdom of God, Jesus reigning in a place. And the kingdom of God is here. And the kingdom of God is wherever God, uh, the Father and the Son and the Spirit, wherever their values of the kingdom reign. That's a, it's a snapshot or a picture of the kingdom. And so the kingdom can be here when we're at church on Sunday. Uh, later, Paul calls us ambassadors of the kingdom, uh, that we're like to carry the kingdom of God with us. Do you perceive your faith that way? That you are a carrier of the kingdom. That, uh, like as you go and as you live, what you're doing is you're like bringing the kingdom with you. And so if there's darkness in a place, you step in and you are now the, the shedding the light of the kingdom in that environment, and how you operate then, when you operate in the values of Christ, you bring the kingdom in to that sphere. And so the kingdom is very much here. And one of the great joys of the Christian life is that we get to bring kingdom with us, and we get to bring the kingdom more and more into existence. This is the motivation of the Christian in waking up, like to, to bring kingdom with me wherever I go. One of the things we'll uh, discuss a little bit later is that things that we do outside of the kingdom of God and things that we do inside of the kingdom of God uh, in many ways look similar. In fact, many of the actions of life are the same uh, outside of the kingdom or inside the kingdom. Like, for instance, outside of the kingdom of God, people get married and they have children and they raise those children and they send them to school. And um, inside of the kingdom of God, you do that. And outside of the kingdom of God, you have jobs and you make money and you spend that money. And inside of the kingdom of God, you do those things. See, many of the actions outside or inside are the same. Right? They, they, they might, on, in one hand, be the same actions, but there's something about the kingdom then when you step into those environments and you bring the values of the kingdom. So the kingdom of God is here. It can be here right now, and it is, but the kingdom of God is also still to come. In other words, there's a full consummation of the kingdom that we look forward to. One way of this, uh, describing this, is what is known as the millennial reign of Christ. And uh, in the millennial reign of Christ, Christ will come down to earth, and he will reign and rule on this earth for a thousand years. And the scriptures tells us that, that that will be a joyous time, but it won't actually be a perfect time. There will still be some who fall away in that moment. And so it is, a, uh, it is a further step of the kingdom, but it is not the full kingdom. And one day Christ will be here uh, and, and Satan will be destroyed and there will be the new heaven and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, and we will live fully and completely in the kingdom of God. And in that kingdom, there will be no death and there will be no sorrow and there will be no tears and there won't, uh, we will live under the shadow, well, no shadow, under the glory of Christ, the full kingdom. And what the Christian does right now in the kingdom that is now is begins to operate and act and make happen that kingdom that will be one day. 
understanding that there are limitations, of course, because we're uh, on earth and there's sinful nature and Satan, the enemy, is still roaring around trying to destroy. But by the authority given to us in Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the mechanism of the church, we bring the kingdom of God wherever we go. This is the kingdom that is here, but is still to come. Another phrase that we could use to help us understand the kingdom is this. The kingdom is both visible and invisible. It is both visible and invisible. Sometimes we see the kingdom of God. Jesus said it this way. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And these are visible uh, elements of the kingdom, things that we actually get to see. When, when, When people, Christ followers, begin to act in these ways. It's like we get to see the kingdom happen. Another great joy of the Christian is doing kingdom acts then, bringing kingdom to be. But the kingdom is also invisible. The kingdom is inside. Sometimes the invisible nature of the kingdom is like through the preaching of the word of God or the proclamation of the gospel when the Holy Spirit comes in and transforms the human heart and moves it from death to life. It's the inner workings or the invisible workings of the kingdom of God. It's doing inward transformation, which will eventually um, lead to or should lead to visible then signs of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is also invisible in this way. I think we just experienced a little bit of the invisible kingdom uh, before I got on stage when we were worshiping together. When, when we're worshiping in song and you can tell the presence of the Holy Spirit is here, like almost like uniting and, uh, and bringing the church together. And you can't see it, but you sense it, you feel it, you know it's there. It's the invisible kingdom. And there are these beautiful moments in life when you can like sense and feel the invisible kingdom of God, where you like feel united to the church family or a few brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's like, you can tell you're like, it's almost like you're like in this little like cocoon of the kingdom. You feel it. And so the kingdom is visible and it is invisible. It is here and it is still to come. And then also the kingdom is this. It is both faith or truth and action. In fact, a lot of the book of Acts and a lot of the New Testament is trying to work through this dichotomy of how our faith is both firm belief and and a, and a strict adherence to truth, but also it is action. James says it this way, like faith without works is dead. And then you read Galatians and uh, you see how like works don't justify. And so there's this uh, both, truth and action. And so sometimes uh, there's a little bit of kingdom confusion about these things. Kingdom confusion, by the way, is nothing new. If you read verses 6 and 7 of this text that we already read, you'll see that the Israelites were confused. These Jewish disciples were confused about the kingdom of God. They asked him, like, hey, are you bringing the, the territorial, physical kingdom to be right now? And Jesus, he didn't really rebuke the question, but he did shift a little bit. And he said, I don't want you so worried about the kingdom that is to come. In essence, uh, the, the disciples were asking, like, are you bringing the full and complete kingdom right now? And Jesus responded with, don't worry about the time of the full and complete kingdom. Just worry about your role in the kingdom that is here right now. Worry about that. And then it was after that that he's going to say, and here's how you operate in that kingdom, by the power of the Holy Spirit, which is what we'll talk about next week. But the kingdom of God is both faith and action, or truth and action. And, and sometimes where kingdom confusion comes in is people will say, no, the, the kingdom of God is just action, action, action. 
And uh, this actually can become heretical because people will say, like, truth doesn't matter as long as we're acting properly, as long as we're doing the right things, as long as we're operating with, with like, a, a kingdom action, then we're good. A lot of actual heresy has emerged out of this in the Christian faith, right? Where, where the doctrine of the, of the gospel and the doctrine of scripture diminishes to a place where it's no longer even accurate, right in the name of saying, no, we're doing kingdom by our action. Now you can swing too far to the other side and it can become not heretical, but hypocritical where you just say, no, this is what we believe and this is the truth that we hold to, but no action comes out of it. The gospel and the kingdom is something that beautifully merges both truth and action, or truth and love in action. And the kingdom of God holds both of these as equally important, both the truth of the gospel and then that which comes out through the gospel. And so the kingdom of God is both here and it's coming someday in fullness. It's visible, I can see it. It's invisible. Sometimes you just sense it or it's working underneath it is both truth, I hold to it firmly, and action, this is what I do. Maybe you wonder then, well, how does one get into the kingdom of God? How does that process work? Many of us at this church, we have some Canadian friends, and uh, they were down in the States working for a two or three year period, and they became members of our church. And well, just great friends, and then eventually their visa expired, and they had to move back to Canada. And they've been trying to move back and to become U.S. citizens. And they're not able to do it because the barrier to entry is pretty high, um, mostly financial, right? You have to like start a business and it has to be like $900,000 worth of investment or something like that in order to gain your citizenship. And, and so they've been trying desperately, but they can't earn their right back in to become citizens, and so they're stuck in Canada, which obviously is horrible, right? So we, we want them to come back, but they, they can't. How does one move from a citizen of the earthly kingdom to a citizen of God's kingdom? Does it work the same way? Sometimes our natural idea is, yeah, I'm sure it does. And we think, like, I, I can earn my way into the new kingdom. Paul, the apostle Paul wrote this in, in the book of Colossians, which was just a letter to the church at Colossae. And he was reminding them of how it is that anyone enters into the kingdom of God. This is in chapter one of his little letter in verses 13 and 14. He says this, he, that's the father, has delivered us, that's believers, from the domain of darkness or the kingdom of this world. And he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, we like that word, the forgiveness of sins. How do you get in? You get transferred in. You don't earn your way in. You don't work your way in. There is a payment that has to be paid similarly to trying to become a, an American citizen. Uh, there is a payment that has to be paid and it is a high payment that, most, uh, that no one can afford uh, and, uh, but we don't have to pay it. That's why he uses the term redemption, the idea being there that we have to be redeemed out of the one kingdom to enter into the new kingdom. And the simple message of the gospel is that we were dead in our sin in the old kingdom, but then Christ paid the price of our salvation, paid the price of our liberty from the old kingdom into the new one. And this is activated by faith when we hear the gospel through the initiating work of the Holy Spirit, and then we move, we're transferred from the old kingdom into the new kingdom. 
This is the beautiful message of the gospel. This is what many of us have experienced, right? Where uh, the gospel came in and it broke into our hearts and, uh, and we realized that our sins had been paid for and now because they have, we can be transferred in to the new kingdom. But then what happens when we move into that new kingdom? How then do we begin to operate? See, Jesus was most about the kingdom of God, and then he transfers us into this new kingdom, right? And he's most about his kingdom on the move. And I've already kind of set up that the confidence that we need that the kingdom is real is in the resurrection. We'll talk in a moment. The power we need inside the kingdom is the Holy Spirit, right? And the mechanism to grow the kingdom was the church. But there's this kind of uh, aside, really. It's not the, the sequence that I've been laying out. This aside of like, well, then how do I or how do you begin to operate in the kingdom? Or what does it look like to operate in the kingdom of God? Remember the first time you saw a Mac? Okay, I do. It was 2004. Okay, so if you can remember, think of me, 18 years ago. Looked a lot like this way worse hair, okay? Way less gray hair. So 18 years ago, I'm a college freshman, and we're in my buddy's dorm room. We didn't have Wi-Fi back then, and, and so he had to go do something, and I was just waiting. He said, hey, you can play around on my, on my computer. And so I looked, sit down at the computer, I'm like, what is this goofy-looking machine? Right? No one is ever going to want to buy these. That's what I thought to myself. So I flip it open, and I start trying to work this new weird mouse pad. And he comes back like 15 minutes later, and he's like, you look frustrated. I was like, I am very frustrated. He's like, why are you so mad? Like, because I've spent 15 minutes trying to find free cell, and I can't find it which is the only reason you get a computer, right? At least back then, was that so you could play free cell. And, and I'm like, there's no free cell on this computer. And he said, yeah, there isn't a free cell on this computer because Macs don't have free cell. And I said, no, 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 no. Every computer has free cell. He said, this one doesn't. I said, there's no way that Mac is going to last without free cell. We got into this little argument and debate, and he finally did prove to me that FreeCell didn't operate on the Mac operating system, at least at that time. Of course, I was ready to get rid of Mac forever. When we move from the kingdom, the old kingdom, into the new kingdom, it's a little bit clunky at first. We don't completely understand how to operate everything. And we start looking and we start going, wait, hold on. Where is this thing that I thought I couldn't live without? And then as you begin to understand the kingdom a little bit more, you begin to realize, oh, that doesn't exist over here. It's not in this kingdom. Imagine a conversation between somebody who is brand new and they've like just stepped into the kingdom. They're like, hey, this is awesome. It's light instead of dark. I feel so joyous. My sins are forgetting. This is amazing. What do we do over here? And the person who's been in the new kingdom uh, for a while looks and goes, oh, oh, I can show you. I can tell you. Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, all right. So remember in the old kingdom, you were a leader in the old kingdom, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, I was. Uh, well, I'm actually still a leader over here, right? And so, uh, but yeah, I was a leader. Remember how when you were leading somebody in the old kingdom, the whole point of leading somebody and exercising power and authority was that you could keep them down there and it could bring you up here and you would use them to make sure that what you were doing worked and um, that it was better and good for you. Remember all of that? And, uh, and that's whatever 
who did, who had authority and power and leadership in the new kingdom. And you step in, you're like, yeah, absolutely, I remember that. So we do that here? He goes, no, 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 no. No, over here. You use leadership and power and authority to serve people. No, over here. It's not about how high you can make yourself. It's not about how much you can put other people down and keep them in place. It's about how low you can make yourself and elevate other people. And the new person would probably respond, no movement could ever last like that. I said, hold on, let me show you a time where, I, where one started that way. Christ went to the cross and lowered himself completely and served us and elevated us to a place that we never deserved. Huh. All right, you got another one? Sure. So you're back in the old kingdom. Remember how in the old kingdom, oh my goodness, actually, I remember this. Remember that one time when that person, they did that thing and they never sought forgiveness and they hurt you and uh, it actually like ruined your life. It destroyed your reputation. It, 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 it like, like unsettled everything for a long period of time and, uh, and they like just went on like they didn't even do anything wrong. Oh yeah, I remember them. What do we get to do over here? You just forgive them. And then you actually pray for them and their blessing. Whoa. I didn't know anyone could operate like that. You know, that's, that's how we do it over here. Why? Because you and I we were the person who did that to Jesus. And then he just forgave us. And so we do it for others. Whew. Okay, you got any more? Sure. I'll give you one more, kid. Okay, remember how in the old kingdom, you messed up a couple of times. I got a ledger. <laughs> yeah, okay. Right, you, you screwed up bad. And, and remember when you, when you screwed up bad, what, what you did? And like, yeah, oh yeah, I remember. Like I, I, I just said, like, I'm not going to do this again. I'm, I'm never going to fall into that ever again. And I've actually put these boundaries back up and I've, and I've created this little system and, and I felt so bad and now I've been working and I've been doing this and I've been going at it uh, and I've been earning my way back because I want to make sure that I never do that again. And I also want to make sure that I justify to myself that I am a good person who would never do those things. And even though I did those things, I did these good things. So now that thing doesn't matter as much because of everything else that I've ever done. He said, yeah, okay. So now you step in here and guess what? You're still going to do some of those things and there's still going to be times where you fall and sometimes you might actually fall even lower uh, in your own mind than you did before you entered into the kingdom because even though you stepped into the new kingdom, you're still not perfect. You're like, okay, well that's not something to look forward to, but it might happen. So what happens when I do? What do I do when I do fall and I mess up? What do I do on this side? Nothing. You don't do anything. Jesus already did it for you. And in his eyes, you don't go start back at the beginning. 
and you don't fall to the ground. He just covers you in his grace. Wow. So that's what it's like in the new kingdom. Yeah, and so much more. He said it's actually this element of grace and understanding it that'll be part of what compels you to start living in all of these new kingdom ways and to operate in all of these new kingdom values. And then you might, in that conversation, the, the new one might look at the old one and say, like, I, I don't think I could ever live like that. And he would say, the old person in the new kingdom would say, yeah, you can on your own. Jesus knew that. It's why he said these words in the very next verse. So, while staying with them, he ordered them. Jesus did very little ordering. He says he commanded them. And while staying with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which we'll find in Luke 11 and other parts is the Holy Spirit, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. So it's good to have a confidence and it is good to have a, um, a deep belief in the resurrection and then we're transferred into the new kingdom. But Jesus says, hold on, before you go and try to work in this new kingdom and to try to operate in this new kingdom, don't do anything until you receive the Holy Spirit. Because if you try and operate without the Holy Spirit, whether it's the inward transformation or it's the outward work of ministry, you won't get anywhere. So wait for a second. Wait for it. He says, well, what will this be like, this getting of the Holy Spirit? He said, okay, remember how we used to baptize with water? When you would get baptized with water, you'd go whoosh, and then whoosh, and you were just drenched. So it'll be like that. But it won't be water. It's like this power of the Holy Spirit. It's baptism of the Holy Spirit. And some of you are out there and you're like, baptism of the Holy Spirit? I thought that was something the Pentecostals made up. No, it was Jesus. It was Jesus. He made it up. He's the one who coined the term. And we will talk much over the next few weeks on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And one of our aims as a church will be that a phrase that Jesus said has somehow become one of the most divisive things in the history of the church. And that is tragic. And so our aim and our prayer will be not to make a word and uh, uh, something that Jesus talked about and told us all to wait for, something that is divisive, but something that is unifying and edifying exactly as Jesus intended it to be. And so we will get into that over these next few weeks. But today we will remind ourselves that there is no inward transformation. There is no external action. There is no kingdom work that is to happen apart from this baptism in the Holy Spirit. He, the Holy Spirit, will be what allows you to offer that forgiveness, to lead in that new way to do nothing and just receive grace 
as opposed to trying to work your way back to proper status. Oh, and this is just a glimpse of the beginning. I could go on and on and talk about how uh, one thing over here becomes something new over here. And this is the beauty of stepping into the kingdom of God. Confident because he rose from the dead. Empowered now by the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And the verse then indicates to us how it is that Jesus intended to spread and expand this movement. He says, stay put right there because in a couple of days, and we know what would happen in a couple of days. In a couple of days, and Jesus was very strategic because Jews were gathered from all around the world. Uh, The Holy Spirit would fall and the baptism in the Holy Spirit would go uh, on, on many and then the gospel would disperse out through the world. And this would be what many people call the launching of the church. And this would be his mechanism to dispel this gospel movement. Now, let's hop back to that conversation real quick between the guy who just stepped into the kingdom and the guy who'd been in the kingdom for a while. And I can imagine after a couple of these little scenarios, he would go to him, but does it actually work? Like, can something actually start with these values? And tomorrow, if you're reading along with us in the book of Acts, you will get to Acts chapter 17. And when you get to Acts chapter 17, you will get to a verse that I remember memorizing as a 21-year-old. Reading these words and wondering what it would look like to see the church operate in this way. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob. They set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down, now they're here. And Jason received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar. You know how? They're saying there's another king. Jesus. They're saying that they live in this different kingdom. And these guys didn't understand that the kingdom that they were talking about was one that was here but was still fully to come. That was one that was visible and invisible. One that was both truth and action. But they just knew something was coming. And whenever this empowered group of followers of Jesus showed up through the mechanism of the church, it started turning things upside down. It started transforming individual lives and entire families. It began to create an upheaval in cities and empires. And they're looking in and they're saying, we've got to stop these guys because they've pledged their allegiance to King Jesus and it's changing everything. So yeah, the old person in the kingdom would have looked at the new one and said, oh, you have no idea how well it works. You have no idea. And if you'll let the kingdom break into you, it'll start to break out of you. And if you connect yourself into his chosen mechanism, the church, and it collectively baptized in the Holy Spirit, allows the kingdom to break into it, then the kingdom will break out of it. And that's what's happened for 2,000 years.
And that's why we sing Lord Send Revival. And that's why we're studying this book. That the kingdom that is still to come would break in more and more right now. Let's pray. Father, it would seem silly of us to pray anything other than may we be empowered, filled by your Holy Spirit. For there is no work of transformation. There is no work of gospel movement that is to happen apart from it. So individually and corporately, we will be praying this much over the next few weeks. Empower us. And Father, where we still have old kingdom tendencies, I pray that you would destroy them. Where we still have anger, greed, jealousy, strife, bitterness, hatred, like we used to in the old one, change us. Help us to operate in these new kingdom ways, your system. And as the gospel breaks into us, would you be so kind as to break it out of us into the world around us, turning it upside down. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.